listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. And welcome into the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Today we have the Director of Rehab and Injury Prevention for Rutgers University, Bobby Curtis. Bobby, welcome in. Chase, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. All right. So why don't you give a little bit of background about who you are to the people that are listening? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Bobby Curtis, as you mentioned earlier, uh, born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, Went to Xavier University for undergrad, uh, Bachelor's of Science in Athletic Training with a minor in Pre-Physical Therapy. Uh, when I finished school, I was fortunate. I took a year-long internship with the Cincinnati Bengals as an athletic trainer. Uh, from there, uh, worked, uh, <laughs> hang with me, this is a, a lot, <laughs> in, the, in that second year uh, from undergrad to PT school. So I was the I was a durable medical equipment uh, provider for a physician-owned group. So that was my nine to five uh, nights and weekends. I worked PRN as an athletic trainer at a high school as well as with a rugby club. And then lastly, as I exhale, <laughs> I was the uh, director of clinical education back at Xavier for our athletic training department. I uh, started back in PT school in 2014 at Mount St. Joseph University, which is also in Cincinnati. Uh, graduated there in 2017 with my doctorate in physical therapy. I uh, started working at a outpatient physical therapist owned clinic. Uh, was a staff PT for six months. Things went really well. Uh, got promoted, was a manager of my own clinic for a little over a year. Uh, then I came here to Rutgers, got on the banks in uh, December of 2018 and uh, been here ever since, going on four years this December. So it's been quite the ride. All right. So um, obviously you went, went through athletic training and physical therapy. Um, so when did you realize that sports was like your end kind of career goal? Was it something that you did growing up or did you kind of realize that later on in your career? Yeah, it was kind of a, the coming together of a couple of things. I was always interested in healthcare. Uh and it's sort of how the body works. So I knew something hands-on and active was for me. Uh, love sports. Uh, my dad's a baseball junkie. So I just grew up with sports in my house and being around it and involved in it my whole life. And athletic training to me was, was intriguing because I felt like it was the best means to an end for physical therapy school. I thought that was a really great way for me to, to get my hands involved early on back when it was a bachelor's degree because I felt like working with patients earlier on would get me more comfortable as I got into that, that physical therapy setting. Um, PT was always the end game. I wanted that autonomy. I wanted to have sort of that control over plans of care and more of that direct physician access. And even now with the way direct access is in, in the PT world where patients can come and see me directly. Um, as far as sports PT specifically, uh, that Bengals internship was was eye-opening for me. I, I got to spend a lot of time with, with Nick Cosgray, uh, who's the rehab coordinator still at the Bengals. And he's also a dual credential PTAT. So kind of seeing how that all came together. Nick kind of has the best of all worlds. Nick gets to to do the taping side and be part of the treatment sessions of an athletic trainer, but he's also running the rehabs at practice. And I, I really kind of sparked my interest in it. And, and from that point, A being when I finished that internship to B to now is like, man, how can I be Nick Cosgray? And how do I need to, to take those steps along the way to get to do what that guy does every day? And, uh, so that was a really unique experience. So I'd say Nick was probably the, the one that inspired me to, to be where gotcha. I'm right um, And so now that you're at Rutgers, um, I saw that you were prior to being uh, director of rehab and injury prevention, you were the rehab coordinator. Um, for those who don't know, including me, what's like the differentiating factors between those two different roles? Like what's, what does one do that the other doesn't? 
Sure. Um, so when I got to Rutgers, I was the only PT. Uh, you and I had a conversation before we started about how our staff has, has grown over those four years here. Uh, Pete, football now has two full-time physical therapists. Uh, we just brought on our second uh, at the beginning of last month, uh, welcoming Stephen Best to, to our staff. Um, so that rehab coordinator role for me was a, a little bit more hands-on. I had everyone, all 22 teams referred to me. Um, so my, my workload now is I say decrease, but not really. There's still the other 21 Olympic sports teams that refer to me. Uh, but what's nice now is because we have two additional staff members, those guys who take care of football, Tim and, and Steven, um, my role has expanded now into this injury prevention side. So I work more closely with the athletic trainers into preseason and offseason. And, and we kind of look at the big picture of what, what trends are we seeing soft tissue wise and what can we look at to maybe sort of limit that. And where that rubber usually meets the road is you have to bring in strength and conditioning and integrate some of these patterns that we're seeing and integrate that into their strength and conditioning program, because that's usually where all the athletes come together and that's where we can really address issues as a whole in, in one setting. And so now that you're not treating, like your, your role involves more higher big picture things, um, what are some differences that you notice uh, from that type of role compared to when you were working in an outpatient clinic where you're hands-on treating patients, you know, eight hours a day, what's like, what's your major, what, what's like the biggest thing that you notice that's different? Sure. Um, so I'm still clinical. <laughs> I still see patients every day from eight to four. It's now addition to the injury side of this thing. But even then, so the difference between now and outpatient is I would say now it's less of a hustle bustle. So when you're an outpatient PT, if you want to see the patients that you want to see, I wanted to see athletes. So I was out there grinding. My, my clinic day didn't just stop when I was done seeing patients. I was going to working at running groups and CrossFit gyms, CrossFit gyms and trying to bring in more of the, the clientele that I wanted to see. I would go and network with, with any physician who'd let me in the door who I knew saw athletes to try to get that referral base built. Where here, I have this, this giant pool of patients because they're all within the Rutgers network, right? The athletic trainers, the team physicians. Um, PT means, hey, go see Bobby. So I now have a full clientele of, of athletes uh, ranging everything from gymnastics to baseball and everything in between. Gotcha. Um, and so when you're working with those different, you know, medical providers, the physicians, the ATs, and even the strength coaches, um, you know, one of the biggest, I think, themes of this podcast is communication amongst all those different groups. For sure. So what's like your ideal, um, I guess, picture of interprofessional communication, especially in the sports medicine community? Right. Uh, I'll give you an example. This past Friday, I had a sit down conversation with one of our strength coaches to go over what is this preseason strength and conditioning program going to look like? What's their performance testing going to look like? And we compared and sat down and looked at ideas that we had from last year. How are we going to improve things? And what's that going to look like going forward? When do we sit down and reevaluate this thing? So the next four weeks when they get back on campus, they're going to run through their preseason conditioning and strengthening program. And then we're going to change our test date. We used to test them right when they get back to campus. Now we're going to give them that full four weeks to kind of work back into the program and then test them and see if we see an improvement uh, in some of their test scores and outcome measures that maybe we didn't see previously. And that's a great example. That is, that's rubber meeting the road. That is me sitting down with a strength coach one-on-one. -on -one. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes it doesn't need to happen. A lot of times if the program is working, um, the less I hear, the better, right? If the athletes are doing well, injuries are down, teams are winning, perfect. Let's keep it going. But if not, if things are going the other direction, wh where are we missing it? Is it, is it, on, is it our, our end on, on the sports medicine side? Are we not providing them with the recovery options that they need to perform optimally that next day? Or is it in a strength conditioning problem? Or maybe we're missing something that maybe this lift, this isn't great. This is something we need to tweak. And that's where we need to sit down and just have a conversation about it and get out in front of things. Because um, we all have this same goal of 
of A, winning, but B, allowing the athletes to get to that point as happily, healthily, healthy as they can. And, and that, to me, it's just that, that constant communication between strength coach, athletic trainer, me in some cases, and the head coach to make this whole thing come together. Yeah, so I kind of have – my next question kind of stems, stems off that, and it's kind of two-parted. Um, so what are some of the challenges, you know, working in that higher level rehab where you have so many moving parts and so many different hands on one particular patient? And then what are some like things that you enjoy about, you know, working with multiple people on one person? Yeah, for sure. Um, let's use the example of the ACL. Everybody's familiar with that. I, I look at that as sort of three phases. Those first three months, we got to get your swelling down. We got to get your range of motion back and we have to get you functionally stronger to just be a day to day person. That next chunk months, three through six. That's when we start having fun again, right? We get you into to strength training, functional movement, closed kinetic chain, all the good stuff, your, your back squats, trap bar movements, and straight bar. That first, I would say, four to six weeks. So by month four and a half, I, I, I need your strength coach because you're going to be doing a lot of that very basic preliminary strength and conditioning progressions, hinging movements, squatting movements with them so that in here when you're coming into PT, we can take that next step. We can start working on footwork, agility building you up into some more of those plyometric movements so that by the time you get to month six, we're really starting to work more closely with the athletic training staff because they're the ones that are taking you through that on the field progression. I'm relying on their expertise and their eyes to say, hey, Bobby, this looks really good. We got to clean some things up a little bit here and there. And that's where everything kind of comes together and it's segmental. And, and to me, that's when that's when this thing is, is really cooking. That's when it's a symphony, when it's PT to strength coach to AT and it flows seamlessly. And that's something that we've, we've really kind of honed in on here at Rutgers is, is integrating that whole staff and sort of getting us out of those silos of where, okay, this is just a PT issue. This is just an athletic training issue, or this is just a strength and conditioning thing. Whereas again, we all have this goal of getting the athlete back healthy. So why not take in all of this expertise and all of these clinical knowledge together and do what's best for the athlete, which is integrating them into all three of those phases with all three of those professionals. Right. Um, and so what are some of those, you know, challenges? Cause obviously like ideal, ideal world, everything would flow s seamlessly, but what are some of the things that you've noticed that like in your, in your time, you've had two different roles over the past four or five years. Right. Like what are some of the things that you were like, Oh, I didn't realize this would be something that we have to kind of work through. Yeah. I think a lot of it is verbiage and communication and, and how you communicate with individuals. Um, some of the terminology that we use clinically in, in the physical therapy athletic training world is different than the way they, they use it in the strength and conditioning world. Maybe it's push versus pull or hinge versus squat, whatever, anything you want to say. It's just how do you communicate and communicate effectively to make sure everyone's on the same page. And, and again, in my role, again, there's, there's 21 Olympic sports teams. Each of those have their own athletic trainer. Um, some of the times there's multiple strength coaches involved. It's just identifying who those people are. Being an active member of the community, that's something I really emphasized here at Rutgers, is I didn't want anybody to say, well, who's Bobby? Is he that? I know he's the PT, but I don't ever see this guy. I make it an emphasis to show my face in the weight room so that people feel comfortable coming to talk to me and that there's never this awkward conversation of, well, I don't want to bother Bobby. I don't want to intrude on his time. It's not that. We're going to have a conversation. We can talk about things. If there's something that you want to try with the athlete, very rarely do I say, no, that's off limits. Don't do that. Because you know, you know that the expectation is we've already communicated that ahead of time that usually we come to a conclusion that, hey, try it, see how it goes. If it doesn't look great, maybe it's something we need to work on PT. Maybe it's a range of motion or a strength issue, whatever. But let's try it. And I think that's a lot of times what I look for from the strength coaches is push them and tell me how it goes. And then, you know, maybe we address on the back end or maybe they're ready to take that step and it goes seamlessly. And now we're ahead of the game. We're pushing things forward. Right. Um, and so, you know, if you can't, if you 
you know, don't mind. How do you guys kind of like divvy up your patients at Rutgers? Um, you know, obviously physical therapists and athletic trainers are all working on the same page. Yeah. Um, but obviously there's gotta be some sort of delineation, especially when there's, you know, there's you and then 21 other, and then <laughs> including football, 22 other athletic teams. Right. So how do you guys kind of, um, divide up the patients, um, based on caseload? Sure. Um, so postoperatively, everyone starts on my schedule and that can be delineated how often they see me, depending on the complexity of the surgery, your ACL, you're typically with me five days a week for that first three to four months. And then once we get over that hump, then we start working you transitioning back in to your program with the athletic trainers and the strength and conditioning staff, maybe down to see me two or three times a week when we make that transition. Um, and I'm also here as a referral source for the athletic trainer. Let's say you have somebody who had a lateral ankle sprain, just, just sort of your run of the mill general injury, but for some reason, they're just not getting over the hump. They're two or three weeks into the rehab. It's still nagging. Then the athletic trainer will say, Hey, Bobby, you mind taking a look, get a second opinion. And that just may be a, just a simple evaluation and send it back. Um, so I'm really here at the disposal of the, of the athletic trainers and the team physicians. I'm a resource. Um, the only really contingency is that anyone postoperatively sees me for at least an initial evaluation. And then I take on some of those longer term rehabs as well. Gotcha. Um, has your, I guess, clinical viewpoint or treatment style or anything, has that changed since you kind of working, um, I guess, more bigger picture with a larger sports medicine team compared to when you were like in the clinic um, and your focus, your main focus is just treating? Yeah. So now it's just how can we optimize the re recovery and rehabilitation of all of our athletes. And that starts with education. Um, last summer, we brought uh, Owens Recovery Science on campus to train our entire staff in BFR. I think BFR is, is a tool that's not going anywhere. Uh, it's really kind of changed the way we do in-season rehab because in situations where you're working with somebody, let's say they have patellar tendonitis, and you know that eccentric load is the gold standard to make that feel better, but what's the one thing that they hate that's going to make the knee maybe not feel the best the next day if it's eccentric load? But BFR allows you to, to get a similar response, and they're also seeing some improvements in pain. So I thought that was something that, that our staff really needed to start implementing on a more individual basis, and not just those postoperatively who are seeing me, because we know we can get that nice hypertrophy gain in our postoperative patients using BFR. But this is something now that we're integrating more into just that run-of-the-mill everyday rehab, and I thought that was a great way. So that's sort of how my approach has changed. Is to it's, a, it's not just me being a better clinician. It's now helping our staff be better clinicians. Right. Um and so you've been doing sports, sports, I guess, rehab, because we'll include your like athletic training background in there as well um, for quite a while now. So what are some of those things that you kind of did to, you know, improve your skills for higher level rehabs, you know, because you're working with, um, you know, with the Bengals, you're working football and then you're working high level sports. So you need to make sure these people are ready to, you know, sustain multiple car crashes per game and you know, basically beat up their bodies. So what are some of those things that you did to improve to make sure that your athletes are ready to go hundred percent or close to hundred percent as possible? Yeah, for sure. It starts with just being a sponge. I've been so fortunate to work with a lot of great clinicians along the way. Uh, we talked about Nick with the Bengals, Marcus Aarons. I did a clinical rotation with him with the Cincinnati Reds is phenomenal. Uh, Brian Atkins, one of the PTs I worked with on an outpatient setting there's something you can learn from everyone. And it may not be something that you that you like. Maybe it's something you don't like. Maybe like, you know what, I'm not gonna do that because that didn't really go that great. Or, or it's something I loved and I'm gonna keep that. And there's always something to be learned. And, and with that, your continuing education is also gonna get you over that hump. Um, that's probably another good story for you. Um, I had an interview right when I finished school um, with a professional baseball team and it went really well. 
uh, I thought we killed it. We're knocked it out of the park. Great interview. Everything was really great. And I got I was checking my email every day. And, you know, I got that automated response. Hey, thank you for your time. Uh, but we went another direction and such and such. But then two minutes later, I got another email. And it was with the individual that I interviewed with. And he said, hey, things went great. I think you're going to have a really bright future. But he didn't just leave it at that. He gave me a list of, of continuing education courses that he specifically said that they look for in baseball. That's going to make me a better candidate in future job applications down the road. And I think that's how we're going to get better as a profession is that, okay, this is what I need to do objectively to make myself a better candidate. And, and I took that and I ran with it. I took a postural restoration Institute course just, just to kind of fine tooth my understanding of, of just smaller segmental movements uh, that they look for in baseball. Um, dry needling was a big part of my practice back in Ohio. Uh, New Jersey just recently passed a law that, that gave PTs that right back in our practice act. So I've got uh, two more continuing ed classes, uh, classes there to get that back here at Rutgers. Hopefully after that, open running by the fall. Um, so I think just being a lifelong learner and, and with that, also listening to your athletes. Is the more you can individualize a program and get better buy-in from them, the better their recovery is going to be, the better rehab the process is going to go. Uh, and, and try to spice it up every once in a while. Nobody wants to come in here and do straight leg races every day. So the more you can keep those wheels spinning and keep your patients engaged in their own rehab process, uh, the better your results are going to be. Gotcha. Um, and so speaking of, you know, being a lifelong learner, um, as you're a busy person, you know, you're kind of heading up all these different sports. Um, how do you kind of find the time or what do you do to make sure you stay evidence-based, you know, keep try to keep up on the current literature as best you can? For sure. Um, my wife will tell you I'm a dork. I'm always, I always got my nose looking up something. I just, I go back and read old textbooks. I, <laughs> uh, my interest is always sparked. And I think a lot of that has to do with maybe a competitive nature. I, I just want to excel. And I don't only just want to excel for me. I want to be a good PT, but I want it to really for outcomes. Um, every patient that walks in your door is a direct reflection of you and, and how they get back to sport and how they walk. So if somebody's limping after surgery, who's your PT and why are they letting you do that? And I just think that staying on top of what is best for them is going to make you look better and, and, and your patients are going to get better more importantly. So how do I do that? Um, Twitter's big for me <laughs> and pick and choose who you follow on there. AASPT is always putting great content out. Uh, Kevin Wilk, Mike Reinhold, those guys are, are staples. Um, they're staples for a reason. They do great things. They've been involved in a ton of research studies. Um, so things like that help me stay on top of the curve. Um, JOSPT, I subscribe to that journal. I get that in the mail every month. So right there is five or six good research articles coming at you right to your doorstep. Um, so, yeah, you pick and choose what you want. And then sometimes you get a case that walks in and you're like, oh, man, I got I got a patellar tendon rupture. I got to look up on this and, and look at different protocols, find what you like, find what you don't like and talk to the surgeon and kind of see what their protocol looks like. So I think just, again, as your patients come in, you see things, if, if things aren't progressing as, as well as you want them to, or maybe you just need to kind of refresh on some things, it's always a good time to go back. And, and revisit the literature and see what else is out there. Maybe you're missing just a little something that just came out, and that could be the difference between them getting back to sport in two weeks as opposed to four. Right. Gotcha. Um, and so kind of a more big picture, broad question. Uh, yeah. Why is sports PT so fulfilling to you? So, you know, every day, I'm sure no matter what job you have, you get up there some days where you don't want to go to work. Yeah. So what's, what's that thing that kind of is like, all right, I, you know, I wake up and I enjoy my job, even though it has all these downsides. Why, like, why do you enjoy sports PT so much? Yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of it is, is the mentality of, of athletes. I, I, I love that competitive nature. And a lot of them are, are driven and they want to get back to sport. But sometimes there's those dog days, right, where you're, you're let's say you're three months into an ACL rehab. And it's, you just, it just hits them. They're like, man, I just don't want to be here today. 
Um, so that's where you got to step in, kind of be that thorn in their side, pat them on the back, kick them in the butt, whatever they need to, to motivate them. I, and, and the icing on the cake is, is seeing them go through that progression and then get back to doing what they love at a high level. There's nothing more rewarding than, than seeing someone from that initial day of injury to getting back on the sport and competing at a high level. Um, that's it. That's why you do it. That's why you wake up every day. That's why you, you try to help them get better. Um, and then job satisfaction with that. Uh, I wouldn't be doing anything else. Uh, this is fantastic. Again, it's just sports PT is fun. You have your tough days. Like you said, there's no job is perfect. Um, but overall, I wouldn't change anything. And I'm in a great place for it. Rutgers is really invested in us as a department from sports medicine and, and nutrition and, and, and sports psychology to where we're really trying to make this four-year experience for our athletes um, the best that it can be. And it's not just a physical approach, but again, the nutrition and mental health side. We've really done an exceptional job of growing this department over the last four years. Right. Um, and so, you know, now that you've been at Rutgers for a while, um, I'm sure your days have changed. But currently, um, you know, what is your, I guess, day-to-day, like, job entail? Kind of like w- walk us through a day in the life of what it's like to be you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so first and foremost, man, I just read a book. What is it? It's um, oh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And one of his advice in there is, is you have to pay you first. Not just a financial payment, but like take care of yourself first. So I wake up at 4.45. My first patient of the day is me. I go to the gym, get it in, get it out, and then I'm here at Rutgers um, between 7 and 7.15. First patient usually rolls in between 7.30 and 8. Um, My caseload during our competition season, I would say on average, is between 16 to 20 patients a day. Um, I said first one starts between 7.30 and 8. And I go until I'm finished. I usually finish up between 5 or 5.30. Um, and I run a clinical schedule. Um, I also run uh, our team physician is on our team orthopedic surgeon is on campus once a week. I help organize his clinic. Uh, he's a referral source from our team docs who are here every day, as well as the athletic trainers. So, so there's an acute injury, somebody who's a surgical candidate uh, that gets seen on campus. And I'm involved in those patient appointments as well uh, to sort of dictate for the athletic training and physical therapy side of, of what does this plan of care going to look like. And it's also nice to touch base um, with our team surgeon as well just so we can run down any of the, of the post-operative patients that I'm working with and making sure that we're still on the same page and that they're progressing um, as they should be or how we wanted to see them. So long story short, day-to-day, uh, about 16 to 20 patients, mostly clinical duty, um, but I am an athletic trainer. Um, COVID, as you know, we just came out of that, uh, presented some 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 un, unusual circumstances uh, to where I found myself in a rental car driving to Syracuse to work a football game uh, last year. Uh, I was on a plane. I was I worked our wrestling match Friday night and woke up Saturday morning with a phone call. Hey, we need you to go to Wisconsin, too. So I jumped on a flight and I was working a, a match in Wisconsin that weekend as well. So a PT most of the time, but an AT uh, when duty calls. So it's good stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, it's always, you know, interesting to hear these different PTs kind of like day in the life because everybody's is very different, even if like in similar roles, I'm sure they're very different depending on you know, where, where you're at. Um, for sure. So do you have a favorite memory from your time at Rutgers um, and your four years there? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> favorite memory. Um, I'll tell you this. One of my first athletes uh, that I worked with, uh, Compound Tib Fit, and he sent start to finish probably 15 months with me before he was back on the track. Uh, so one of the coolest things is his, his first meet back, competing just getting on the track was a huge hurdle um the injury actually occurred out of the country it was an emergency surgery their goal was simply to to save his limb and 
the work that he put in, I have never met anybody with a work ethic quite like that. It was, it was motivating. He made me look great, but I'll be honest with you. He was going to get back regardless. Um, so to see him get back on the track uh, was, was huge and, and, and rewarding. And again, we talked about it earlier. That's why we do this, right? To, to help people uh, get better and move better and, and compete and reach their goals. Uh, so that was, that was really cool. Gotcha. Um, and last question for you. Do you have any advice for any aspiring sports PTs? Um, you know, no matter what stage of their career they're in, if they're an undergrad, you know, thinking about getting into PT because of sports, uh, if they're currently in PT school or, if, you know, wherever else they're on, they're on their journey. Yeah. So I get that question a lot. And there, there's three things I always kind of refer back to. Um, first and foremost is, is put the work in on the front end. Foundational knowledge is huge. Understanding of anatomy and physiology, biomechanics. If you have that foundational knowledge, everything else clinically is going to come so much easier to you. Exercise progressions. How do I get from A to B? You're going to get there. Um, and the second one is, is be a lifelong learner. We've touched on that a few times already is you can't, you can't just rest on your laurels. You have to continue that, that infinite pursuit of getting better. And if you ever think you got this thing figured out and you're done learning, you should probably retire because you're going to, you're going to do yourself a disservice and your patients a disservice. And lastly is you have to bet on you, take the chance, network, get out there, put yourself out there. And if you're not getting the callbacks and you're, and you're going through these interview processes and you're not getting the positions that you want, you probably need to come back to one and two and maybe revisit some things. How can I, how can I get better? How do I look better on an application? How do I make myself more intriguing to, to these companies or, or universities so that they want to bring me on campus and, and make me part of their sports medicine team? Um, work hard, get after it. Um, and I, I'm a big believer that if you work hard enough, good things are going to happen. And you can say it's luck, but I think most of us make our own luck. And that luck comes from, from hard work and getting out there. Um, I can confidently say that I have covered football from literally every level, peewee all the way to the NFL and everything in between. And a lot of that is just sacrifice. When your friends are out going out on Saturday and Sunday nights and, and you're covering a peewee football game in the rain, uh, just, just never lose sight of what the end game is. And the end game is, is to be able to work in environments like this. I'm fortunate. I don't lose sight of that. I'm thankful every single day I get to work at a, at a great university um, with, a, with a sports medicine group that's fantastic. Um, but again, that was hard work. That's years of dedication that, that got to this point and, and continued work that I'm here. Uh, I'm a dork, like I said, just always learning. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I think those are great pieces of advice that, um, you know, hopefully everyone listening will take into their own lives and practice. Um, Bobby, thank you so much for, you know, giving us your time, knowledge, experience. Um, is there anything that you would like to plug before we get you out of here? Uh, nothing specific other than um, we are expanding. We would we really would like to have physical therapy students um, come to us. Uh, I know this working in sports is sort of a, a difficult clinical rotation to find for a lot of schools. Um, so if you're a DCE and you're listening to this podcast and you have students who are interested in working sports physical therapy, reach out. Um, we have multiple options, whether it's with me or with football for our fall and spring positions. Uh, we'd love to get you in. Gotcha. I will make sure um, this podcast comes out in a couple of weeks, um, but I will make sure, you know, to put that in the description because I think there's plenty of students that are listening to this that would love to, you know, be a part of that. Um, with that being said, this has been the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Huge thank you to Bobby Curtis of Rutgers University, the Director of Rehab and Injury Prevention, for coming on to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. 
If you like what you heard today or want to hear more episodes from great future guests, please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening.